us seeing the disparity in the educational system, us living, you know, in a certain neighborhood and seeing, you know, the school uh, that all of our friends from our neighborhood went to and seeing how they really didn't have any enrichment activities and they weren't really set up for success. Um, you know, we went to a, a private school and, you know, we just saw, um, you know, that we were exposed to like computers at a young age. Um, you know, we got to go camping and a lot of other things that kind of uh, increases our scope. So I think one of the things that we wanted to do with our programs was besides the yoga and the meditation was, you know, provide enrichment activities to let our kids know that there is other things to, you know, entertain themselves and uh, to kind of, uh, you know, align themselves with. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Meta Hour podcast with Sharon Salzberg. I'm Lily Cushman. I produce this podcast. And today we are coming to you with our final episode of the real life series we've been airing here on the podcast for the past few months. It's always a delight to have this format of the podcast as a way to just explore Sharon's writing and her books more deeply. And today's episode feels like kind of a perfect ending to that as Sharon is in conversation with Andres Gonzalez, Ali Smith, and Atman Smith. You've most definitely heard of these three brilliant men. They've been on the podcast numerous times before. They are the co-founders of the Holistic Life Foundation. And the other place that you might have seen them is the Living an Authentic Life Summit, which is actually where this recording is from. And the guys each did some of the interviews as part of the summit. So it's a real treat to close the conversation today with their contributions and their insights. They do really such incredible work bringing mindfulness into underserved communities. And so they're really putting these tools in what feels like the front lines of America and offering tools both to underserved kids, but also a lot of caregivers, educators. So they feel like the perfect way to close out the real life series. Before we get to the episode, if you haven't heard, one of Sharon's books is being re-released this month, Love Your Enemies, which was co-authored with Bob Thurman, Robert Thurman, who is the founder of Tibet House and Menlo Mountain Spa. And this book originally came out a decade ago. This is the 10-year anniversary edition with new introductions, both by Sharon and Bob. And we're just happy to put this book kind of back out into the world at a time that in some ways feels more appropriate than when it was originally released because of how polarized the world really is right now. And as we start to 
gear up for another election. So love your enemies, how to break the anger habit and be a whole lot happier. So you can go to Sharon's website and there are all kinds of links there to get yourself a copy. So let's get to today's episode. This is the final episode of the Real Life series. Sharon Salzberg and Andres Gonzalez, Ali Smith and Atman Smith. Here we go. Welcome back to the summit. I'm Sharon Salzberg. And I'm so happy to welcome my good friends from the Holistic Life Foundation, Andres Gonzalez, and brothers Ali and Atman Smith. Together, Andy, Ali, and Atman founded the Holistic Life Foundation, a nonprofit organization bringing yoga, meditation, and breathwork to thousands of at risk kids in Baltimore schools since 2001. Their work has received wide national attention to do their remarkable results in public schools where suspension rates plummet and graduation rates skyrocket. Outside of their work at the Holistic Life Foundation, Ali, Atman, and Andy also teach to diverse populations around the world, including drug treatment centers, mental crisis facilities, homeless shelters, as well as yoga, wellness, and mindfulness festivals. Their first book, Let Your Light Shine, how Mindfulness Can Empower Children and Rebuild Communities was published last October by Penguin Random House. Hello, welcome. I mean, these, these three great people have been conducting a bunch of interviews for this summit, which I'm, I'm just so grateful for. And uh, it's terrific, you know, and um, for uh, people to get to meet you a little more and for you to meet some of the people who are guests and um, everyone's just hanging out together for change. It's really nice. Yeah. Thank you for having us on here. Uh, we really appreciate it. And um, thanks for believing in us enough to interview, um, you know, some of the leaders in, you know, the contemplative field. Uh, it's been mm -hmm. awesome connecting with these people and, you know, learning more about them. So, you know, thank you. And, you know, thank all the other presenters. Yeah, well, it's great. Uh, and today I'm getting to interview you uh, and we're going to talk about expansion. Um where we feel most open, expansive, connected, and how to enhance that. So, of course, that brings us to love and compassion. When I think about all of that, I think of you three, really. Uh, I think of your incredible work in Baltimore and beyond, but particularly in Baltimore. So take me back to your beginnings there, to your beloved mentor, and how you found the path that you're on now. So I'd say the, the path found us, Sharon. Um, I don't think we really had a choice. Um, we were kind of just like, this is what it is. And uh, we were born into it um, with our parents being into the practice. Our godfather, who became our teacher, was into the practice. So it was just like one of those things. It was it was normal growing up just to, um, you know, like walk downstairs to watch Saturday morning cartoons and see our dad in the headstand in the middle of the living room. You're like, you know, our dad wake us up before school to meditate. We're going to a church where the Sunday school was in the basement. There was incense and crystals all over the place. And they were talking about the commonality and all religious practices. So I think the path was there. But then, you know, like, I feel like um, as life goes on, particularly things that your parents introduce you to, you kind of stray away from. But those seeds are planted. And then, you know, um, 
I'd say life kicks your butt a little bit. And then you kind of, you start to figure out what's real and what were the things that you need to go back to. So I think that was, um, I think that was a part of it. I know, um, what got me back on the path. I remember having a conversation with our, um, with our teacher, uncle Will about this. Um, I don't know, just maybe a couple of years before he transitioned, maybe a year before he transitioned was, um, one of me and Ottman's best friends, like, uh, dying of cancer while he was in his senior year of high school. And it was one of those things where he was like, one of the greatest people that we had ever met, like very, very humble. Like, no, nah, he wasn't humble. Very good guy. He was very, he was very flashy, but he was very good guy. He would spend his time on the weekends, like volunteering um, when the rest of us were just looking to hang out. He was at church every Sunday, um, was a friend to everybody. And I think just watching him slowly deteriorate and like just transition, like at such a young age was like one of those things like, all right, something's not making sense here. Like there's some, there's more, like, this doesn't like if, if, you know, and I, I and I was at a point we were kind of out of our, um, our yogic practice and we were, um, I'd say more on the Christian side of things where it was like, you know, like our mom would take us to church. So it was more of a, um, it was more of a, you know, like you're born, you die, you go to heaven or hell type of situation. And, uh, it just didn't make sense to me that, uh, that he was taken away so early and he was such a beautiful soul. And, uh, I think, that was what I think that was what got me back on the path of just trying to figure out what was going on. And a lot of things happened. Um, and a lot of things led us there. I think graduating from college and trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives kind of got us even deeper in the path. And uncle Will was the one that like put us on the fat path, like two feet solidly on him. It's like, okay, boom, here it is. Now it's up to you to walk it. I'm going to be here to support you and like, let you know when you're veering off, but, but, but you know, the you're on the path and you got to walk it. So my Uncle Will was your godfather, is that right? Yes. Our dad's best friend. And he was your teacher. Yes, he was. Uh we like to uh label him. I, actually I can't uh take credit for this. Ali came up with the phrase, he coined the phrase, he's like the uh Samuel Jackson of teaching spirituality, uh, because he uses a lot of uh profanity in getting his point across. He's you know, he's talking about the light, but he's still, you know. Sam Jackson's it up, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, he was a big lover. Uh, you know, he always talked to us, you know, about, um, you know, being love and uh, trying to uh, instill, uh, make people love themselves, um, you know, let them see why, tap, tap them into their light, uh, get them into meditating and, um, you know, help them develop, uh, I guess, their inner light uh you know so they are i guess reliant uh just you know on the love within themselves and not looking for it outside of them if that makes sense mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense so is, is love the predominant quality of expansion that you think about yeah i mean i would say so i think uh you know uncle will started with a, a lot of the Matt based stuff. So a lot of the asanas and the breath work with us and the meditations and stuff like that and udras and mantras. And I would say by the end of it all, you know, last few years or even last like seven, eight years, all we talked about was love and oneness and unity and how we could spread that throughout the world. You know, we always say love is the most powerful force in the universe and it's that uniting force as well. As well. So it's interesting to call it as expansive because sometimes I see expansion as pushing out, whereas that love also is bringing together. Um, but, but certainly I think that's a big part of who we are is, you know, expanding with love and, and embodying love where we go and reminding individuals 
of that light within them that Atmo is talking about and their full capacity and that they do have the ability to manage the ups and downs the world is throwing at them all the time. And love is one of those things that really, really make can it can make it a little easier if, if you start uh, being loving, seeing love in, in all things, in your words, your mm-hmm. thoughts, your actions you know all the time so we're big love people l-o-v-e so you you hear us say it all the time you know what i mean so i would say certainly that uh especially with holistic life foundation and even with the work that ali and atma are doing with the involution group that a lot of what we do is based on love and spreading that love throughout the world yeah and sharon i want i think one thing that uncle will used to always talk about um as far as like expansion was um was like knowledge you know what i mean like he would always talk i mean because like people don't um, he would always say that people were ignorant of their light, you know what I mean? And not that they were like dumb, but they were just ignoring it. So it was like, there's all this universe worth of information inside of each and every one of us that people don't tap into or don't know how to tap into. And I think that is what like really causes the expansion is like, it's like that knowledge. Cause I mean, like a lot of people are kind of stuck in like their, you know, their, their body and their thoughts. And that's the end of it. You know what I mean? And that can be very limiting. I mean, cause you know, your thoughts are kicking your butt, your body's like, here for like the blink of an eye but your soul's infinite so like if you can get the knowledge of that i think that starts to expand your entire universe and like your entire connection and your entire interaction and your capacity to love ali when you just said that it just uh popped in my head when we used to always go to uncle will's and uh you know as far as expansion we used to always be like uh, yo do you want to come uh out to this bar to this restaurant he was like man why do i have to go anymore i have the whole universe inside of me so Thinking about expansion again, that could be like meditation or, you know, different contemplative practices because it does take you to deeper uh, parts of yourself, more subtle parts of yourself, which is another way that is expansive, you know, and it's continuous. And, you know, you can never get to the end of that expansion. And, you know, I think that that, you know, that that's one thing that pops in my mind, uh, him talking about like the fact he doesn't really need to go anywhere because the universe is inside of him is, you know, the most expansive idea that I can, you know, come up with. Yeah. I mean, you know, in in, uh, some schools of Buddhism, they emphasize the problem more than anything, you know, maybe that's because that's what's realistic for a lot of people. You know, let's not talk about freedom nearly as much as we talk about what it's like when you wake up in the morning and, and you feel helpless and you feel despairing, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, but it's sort of in that light that we talk about contraction. I mean, it, it's a number of different issues, actually. One is because if you're in pain, let's start with acknowledging it instead of trying to pretend it's not there. It doesn't mean that's all that you are. You know, if it if it does feel like it's all that you are, then that's bad, too. You know, that's just helplessness. But um, let's start with facing it and acknowledging it and then seeing what to do about it, which doesn't mean trying to destroy our painful states, but holding them differently. And that's where we start to expand, you know, because being locked into those states of greed and shame and all of those fear, things like that, we're just, we're so shut down and everything, body, mind, spirit is just so contracted and uptight, you know, that it's, it's only when we deal differently with those states that we begin to get this sense of like, oh, I think of it often and um, some descriptions are like you're in a locked, tiny little dark room and then something happens. The door swings open 
and you don't know what's out there, but suddenly it's like, there's a bigger world. There's so much more possible options than I ever imagined before. And um, my favorite example of that always is uh, in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, there's um, uh, in the Bruce Springsteen exhibit, there's a letter he wrote on the occasion of Bob Dylan's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Bruce Springsteen wrote about the first time he ever heard Bob Dylan's music. And um, he was about, I think he was uh, 15, maybe. He was riding in the car with his mother and a song came over the radio by Bob Dylan. And, and Bruce Springsteen wrote, it was like a giant boot came down and kicked open the door of my mind. Wow. And he said, and then my mother said, that man can't sing. <laughs> you know, so it's not like we're all going to get opened up by the same thing. But I think we we know those moments through art, through music, through meeting a great being, um, you know, through, through falling in love. I mean, all kinds of moments where you just go, oh, it's a bigger world. Interesting. While, while you're describing it and you were talking about like being like kind of huddled in. I, I, I picture like how sometimes when you see people and you can tell that they're just not in a comfortable place, you can tell by like their physical body too, how they're like hunched over and they're almost like in a shell. Whereas someone, when they're feeling comfortable where they're at, they're open and their hearts open. And it's like they're expanding throughout the entire world. And it's, it, for some reason that I envision someone sitting there like hunched over, like, oh, I don't feel comfortable in this area compared to someone who's like, ah, love, I'm in love. Let the, but the love shine from my heart. Yeah. Amazing thinking. Yeah. So Ali and Atman, I'm curious, when you first met Uncle Will, clearly you were children. And did you ever just think that guy's so weird? You know, I'm like the weirdest godfather going. Yeah, we definitely did. I remember um, just one of the stories that pops up in my mind is, you know, he's such a fun dude. He's so charismatic. Um, he's hilarious. So people always wanted to be around him. And, you know, he knew that he wanted to teach us yoga and, you know, he always exposed us to um, different ways, herbs and different teas and stuff like that could heal us up. And um, we were over there drinking beer and watching, you know, a sport sporting event. And he was, um, you know, just talking. We were all talking trash about, you know, who we thought was going to win. And, you know, he would turn to us while we were just joking and, you know, and all of, you know, the performances of people playing basketball. And he'd be like, man, you know, we're putting these toxins in our body. Uh, you know, uh, to get those toxins out your body, you could just do the breath of fire. And he would just stop what he's doing, close his eyes and do this practice where you're breathing three breaths per second. And like, and Ali and I would just look at each other and look at him and be like, man, this dude is crazy. And we would just leave, you know? So yeah, it was definitely times we were like, who is this guy? But I, I don't think we were ready for him at the time when he was trying to present us with all the different books and information and techniques uh, when he, you know, first started dropping. But like, you know, when we met Andy in college, we all were like interested, looking for, you know, what more there was to this world. And, you know, all the books would always say the answers within the answers within our teacher actually had a method of taking us in. Yeah. And I think one of the things about Uncle Will that he appreciated about us was that we were just as weird as he was. You know what I mean? Because like, I mean, he he had been trying to push these practices on people for decades. You know what I mean? Like I'm 
there's stories about him teaching um our dad's friend him and him and our dad's friends like uh it was like melvin watkins and wally like they would go over there and they would do these practices and uh he would run them off like they'd be like i'm uh, this is just not for me and i think it was just so like it brought him so much joy that we were just as weird as him like we were over there like with notebooks taking notes on what he's saying we're um going and practicing this stuff like i distinctly remember one day we're over there um like he would always say you got to be a scientist you got to be a scientist you got to experiment and i distinctly remember one day we were over there and it was a snowstorm and um, we had run out of uh, we'd run out of Heineken's. He was like, Ali, why don't you walk, walk to the store and get some Heineken's? So literally it's a snowstorm. I leave my jacket in his house and I have a T-shirt and I'm walking out the door. He's like, what are you doing? He was like, well, I was like, look, man, you told me Ujjayi can keep my, keep me keep my body temperature up. So I'm just going to walk to the store and I'm going to do Ujjayi the whole way there and the whole way back and see if it keeps me warm. And like it cracked him up. And he was like, I think it just made I think it made him happy to see like there was someone that was actually willing to take the night, not just take his word for it and just be like, okay, yeah, this stuff is true, but like, I'm going to prove this to myself to make sure that it works. And I think he really, really loved the fact that like we were one big weird family. Ali hasn't worn a winter jacket since then either. And I wasn't even sure if it was going to work, but I was like, well, this is the perfect time to try this. Like literal snowstorm. Like just like, I remember drive the drive home was uh, pretty treacherous. Um, that was when that was the time when Grady ate all of our stuff in the basement. Um, mm. That was that same time. Like my dog um, ate all of our uh, snowstorm supplies. So um, we, uh, but yeah, just walking the store and walking back, just doing Ujjayi, not really caring about who was around me or who saw me, and it, and it worked. It kept me warm. I don't know if everyone has quite the right visual for that, but mm. <laughs> is that like Bellows breath? Is that it's uh, Ujjayi is like the. Um, the breath where you partially close your, your glottis. So it's like that um, you inhale, you, you make the sound, you hold it, you lock your chin to, a, to your chest as long as you can, and you bring it back up and you push it all out audibly too. So um, there's different ways to do it. Like sometimes people uh, use different nostrils and stuff, but it's just the base, the, the Ujjayi breath is the one where you partially close your glottis. It's an audible inhale and exhale. Well, it seems to me that there, there are different elements like to that, say the Bruce Springsteen ex- uh, moment, you know, there's that flash where suddenly you do think things can be different or they can sound that way or, you know, look at this. This is something I never thought of. And it it seems to be true. And, you know, so there's that kind of opening and expansiveness that's uh, the inspiration. And then there's uh, the question of, uh, for me, I would say methodologies, techniques to make it stable, you know, because... Uh, you don't just want to go around your whole life admiring Bob Dylan. You want to see what's possible for you, <laughs> you know? So then you, you, you try out that kind of breath or you seek knowledge about something or you, you know, you experiment or you meditate, you know, or you do yoga or you do something so that it really becomes your own, you know, and not just a, a question of kind of admiring someone else. And so, I'm very into technique, and that means cultivation. You know, that there are ways of just strengthening these qualities. And I just read uh, Real Life, the book, aloud, the whole whole book for um, the audio version. And do you have an audio version of your book, by the way? Yeah. Did you read it, you guys? Yeah, we did it in three parts. Yes, all three of us read it. Uh 
And I definitely didn't think it was as hard as it was. But, you know, when you're at home reading, you can like skip a word or mess up a word up, but you have to read it word for word. So it was yeah. definitely a lot harder than I thought it was. No, it's hard. I kept saying, how do you pronounce that? You know, mm-hmm. and, and the poor. I remember the first time it. You, you remember you talking to us about that when you we had done it and you were like, it was not as easy as I thought. Just, just prepare yourselves and. I remember being in the studio thinking, like hearing your voice and be like, she wasn't playing around. This is not as easy. That's no, not so easy. But, you know, I, I just read it very, very recently. And so one of the uh, passages that I really liked a lot, although I kept thinking, why do I write such long sentences? Like, I can't breathe and, and you know, say this <laughs> out loud. Uh, but I'm trying. Um, I write about how uh, there are kinds of plants that will survive with very little attention, like even sort of neglect. Spider plants, aloe vera, ZZ plants, many succulents. But if you decide to give these plants some attention, they, don't want, they won't just survive. They can actually flourish. So that makes me think of like the kids, for example, amongst the many populations that you work with, who maybe have it in them to survive some really difficult, difficult circumstances, but there's a way of paying attention to them and helping them develop some some tools so that they can really flourish in a whole other way. So I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah, I think it's amazing what having a caring adult um, that's present with you can do for the way that your outlook on the world and how you feel about yourself and your ability to achieve. Um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of the kids we work with didn't have anyone to be accountable for because like, you know, people were busy in their life. People might not have been present and people might not have really cared, but they knew that we cared about them. They knew we were going to be present. They knew that we loved. They genuinely knew that we loved them without saying I love you, but they could see how we treated them, that we really loved them. And I think that helped them to um, strive for more and like have and, and having someone to let down is a real thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you have no one to let down, then. You can run around and do whatever you want to do. But if you have someone to let down, then you kind of have to like live a certain type of life. And I think it was then once they didn't want to let us down, they didn't want to let themselves down. So I think it was, you know, seeing that we love them and appreciating that, but then starting to love themselves and not wanting to let themselves down. But I think that that's where it clicks is when they start to love themselves and then they start to see that like, yeah, I'm worthy of anything out here. Like I'm connected to more than just my physical environment, you know, like this is all tangible for me because of how much I care about myself and how much I don't want to let myself down. So I think having those caring and also consistency, I think consistency is the other key um, because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the kids we work with have adults that are kind of transient in their life and someone they might connect to that might disappear. But um, one of our students just texted us a picture of him at his fifth grade graduation. And this was at like 2002, I mean, you know, I mean, he's an adult now working for us. Like he's got kids of his own, like he's got a family, you know what I mean? Like, but he, he was at his grandfather's house and found pictures of the three of us with him when he's in fifth grade with the biggest smile on his face and just thanking us in a text message for what we brought to his life. And, and then also uh, to build off of what um, the question that you asked and Ali commented on, um, you know, I think, you know, seeing us seeing the disparity in the educational system, us living you know, in a certain neighborhood and seeing, you know, the school uh, that all of our friends from our neighborhood went to and seeing how they really didn't have any enrichment activities and they weren't really set up for success. Um, 
you know, we went to a, a private school and, you know, we just saw, um, you know, that we were exposed to like computers at a young age. Um, you know, we got to go camping and a lot of other things that kind of uh, increases our scope. So I think one of the things that we wanted to do with our programs was besides the yoga and the meditation was, you know, provide enrichment activities to let our kids know that there is other things to, you know, entertain themselves and uh, to kind of, uh, you know, align themselves with than just what they see in their, you know, one block radius, which they are, are known to like just venture out into. Um, and, you know, that's just like, you know, putting a, a plant in a bigger pot, you know, like if it has a bigger pot and it has more room to grow, just like, you know, with uh, the, the pot, our kids had more room to grow because, you know, our kids were achieving at a lot higher level at, um, in high school uh, on the, with their grades. Um, you know, they uh, all graduated from school on time, if not early. None of them were locked up. Um, you know, one of them, you know, wanted to be a photographer and, you know, actually went to uh, Maryland Institute College of the Arts and went over to China, shot a documentary. One of our kids went, um, you know, to a, a college in South Carolina, one of the cross championships. So it's like see, our kids kind of uh, broke all of the, the, the ceilings that was kind of like saying what they needed to be in life. And they've broke through it and they're all achieving at a, a, a very high level. A lot of them came through our uh, program and worked for us after college or after high school. But now they're on to bigger and better things, you know, supporting their families and, you know, whatever they chose, whatever, whatever field they chose to work in. But, you know, it's, it's beautiful seeing them grow. Um, so do you get into the classroom anymore or you just kind of set it up so that other people are doing that kind of work? Only when we travel, um, we get to teach. Uh, that's why uh, that's personally why I like to travel so much because we actually get to teach. Uh, but in Baltimore, um, you know, we we got it. Like it's 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 gotten a lot bigger than the three of us. Like it was when we first started, we could actually do things. Like we actually have to run um, the organization and manage and train and all those things. So and then also to employ the people that have come through our programs and the people that come through our workforce development program. Um, to keep them employed, we have to kind of step away from teaching in Baltimore, which, you know, we miss, but we understand that we serve more people this way. Someone wants to find trauma as being frozen, an incident, an experience, or, or sometimes it's chronic. It's like the steady erosion of belief in yourself, you know, over over time because of poverty or some other condition. And um and that definition makes some sense to me. You know, it's like uh, as in contrast to flow or an ability to move or change or believe in change. It's just like lockdown um, energetically in other ways, too. So um, and, you know, clearly some number of the kids or, or adults that you work with are, are really experiencing a lot of trauma in the systems in which they're they're living and so um one of the gifts i think you have given is is that sense of possibility in, in the belief in change things can be different you know your life can can look different um i was watching something on youtube just for wasting my precious human birth as the tibetans would say rather than doing something constructive and uh, this mom was talking to her uh, infant child 
who was uh, in intensive care, you know, uh, neonatal intensive care. They were born, her, I think it was twins, were born uh, quite prematurely and they were in, in uh, you know, incubators and getting treatment. And, uh, and then they were released, you know, eventually back into the home. And she said, and, you know, we kept saying to them, um, this is not your life. You know, we have a home. You'll see sunlight. It's not just these sort of artificial lights. You'll see, you know, this fresh air. There's food, not just down a tube. And, and I thought it was so beautiful, you know, and she just kept saying, this is not your life. You know, this is something you have to get through. Uh, but you have a life and it has sunlight. You know, it has so much. I really, I think of the three of you and your work is just like that. I think a lot of what you said resonated with me because um, a lot of the kids that we work well with before we start with them, um, they find themselves feeling trapped in like a hopeless and kind of helpless situation um, in a neighborhood with no resources and not a lot of, um, yeah. not, not a lot of light shining in it. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a very, it can be a very dark place to grow up in um, in some of the underserved communities in Baltimore and the other places that we serve. So I think um, giving people like um, a source of like, uh, like seeing themselves as a resource, you know what I mean? Like having that inner resource of like a place you can go to where there's peace, where there's love, where there's connection, like despite all the chaos around them, um, I think is is a beautiful gift for anyone to get but particularly if you don't have the resources to kind of get out of your neighborhood, like, you know what I mean? Like most of the kids we work with, they can't afford to go to a retreat center. They can't afford to go on vacation. So it's, I'm physically stuck here. And if um, mentally and spiritually and energetically, I was stuck here too, this would be a dismal existence, but I think connecting them to them, their true self and connecting them to something bigger than them does start to open things up. Like you said, like expansion, like you, you see that this isn't all there is like, like the like the mom talking to the kids like like yeah there's more for you like this is where you are now but there's more for you out there if you you get through this and like we help the, like we're giving the kids the tools to get through this so they can go and flourish in life and not just kind of scrape their way through and survive it thank you it's really it's beautiful i'm curious if you could tell some story about like one of the kids so there's the, I mean, I think this is one of those moments where I think we really realized the work we were doing was making such a great impact, uh, where we had a young lady who had a, a tough upbringing and uh, she got bullied because of, you know, clothes she wore, the stuff she had. And um, she was able to defend herself pretty easily because her brother told her, taught her some, you know, some boxing skills. And uh, so even though she would get bullied, she would, she would handle her own. And, uh, and so what she was probably in fifth grade then and, Someone was saying something to her, talking smack, and she pins him up against the locker room, and she could tell she's ready to cock back and and hit her. And like we 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 like go around the corner with the principal, so the principal witnesses this too, which I think was a very um, enlightening moment for her to see that and be like, wow, this is really working. So you know, Nene kind of looks at the girl and looks at us, looks at the girl, and it's like, you lucky, I meditate, drops her, and then sits down, and starts breathing. You know, it's one of those things. It's one of those like moments where you're like. Holy, like, wow, like, did that just happen? You know, like, and you know, it's, you know, this stuff's working, you know what I mean? But it, it's great to see it in action and to witness it when they're under adverse situations and they're going through, you know, the struggles that they go through in life. And, and I think it's just, 
speaks volumes to like what you were saying, how when you nurture something and you give it the things it needs, you know, like plants need water and sunlight, the nutrients and the dirt, you know, humans oftentimes need these techniques that we're sharing with people, whether it's the breath, a meditation, a way to still your mind, you know, an awareness practice, you know, what, what have you, whatever you need so you can flourish and grow. And I think that that's ideally what we're trying to do is provide people with as many techniques and practices they can use to help them grow and flourish. And then they start loving themselves and they start seeing themselves in everyone and everything. So they start expanding more and just about me and my block, but it's about everyone and everything in the whole world and, and then the whole universe, you know, and then they start seeing themselves stardust and, you know, like aspects like that where they grow. And then that love and that energy that they're emitting is making an impact in the entire universe. It's, it's really a blessing. It's beautiful to witness and to, to experience it. It really is. Mm-hmm. I, I think to build off of what uh, Andy was saying also, uh, one thing that's uh, really cool is just like, yeah, like when she was in elementary school, you know, she stopped it. Like the practice meditation helped her uh, not punch the other girl in the mouth. But the beauty of this stuff is, is like, you know, it's, a lot of people look at it as, you know, a luxury, but it's a survival skill in some communities uh, just because, you know, when the kids get older, instead of them uh, just uh, reacting to what somebody says to them and, you know, uh, not tries to uh, peacefully resolve a conflict. And, you know, usually they try to re- uh, resolve the conflicts with their fists. I think the beauty with, you know, our kids is they have this tool where it does, you know, allow them, give them a second to take a breath and respond to adversity, whether it's, you know, somebody out in the street, somebody at a job, some like, you know, a police officer or something like that. Other, all these different people that they face, these tools are helping them not only just survive, but thrive in, you know, a community that is not really set up for them to succeed. Um, you know, so, you know, with our kids, you know, it may start off as them, you know, being able to restrain themselves from punching somebody but, you know, as they get older, you know, it helps them navigate the highs and lows of this human experience. Yeah, and I think Ahmed's right about that survival thing, because I, I mean, I wish we could say that it was like a happy ending to every story with some of our students. But I mean, some of them are coming from some really, really rough situations where like they're dealing with their own trauma that they've been through, the secondary trauma of the things that are happening around them. And then just like the intergenerational trauma of being black in America. You know what I mean? So there's like a lot that they're dealing with. And then it goes to like, you know, they, these skills are helping them survive because there are kids that, that don't make it out. They do end up incarcerated. They'll call us or email us. Like there's one of our students that was in that same group from like 2002. Um, I guess he joined us in 2003. Uh, that's incarcerated now. Talk to him a lot on the phone. And, um, you know, like he, he still practices his breath work. He still meditates. And he says, that's the only thing that's getting him through right now is those skills that he has. Cause I mean, you know, he's been sitting for a while. He still he still doesn't he still hasn't had a court date. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So he's kind of just been in limbo for three years. So it's just like that's what's helping with his anxiety. That's what helping what's helping him keep his peace of mind. So I think um, it really is a survival skill on so many different levels with a lot of the kids that we work with. Fantastic. So where do you uh, do you have a vision of where you're going or? is it just responsive? Like, cause moving from schools to homeless shelters to, um, you know, indigenous 
tribes to I mean personally I don't have a, I don't have any strategic plan myself I'm the uh bane of many <laughs> friends existence like why don't you make a plan and I said I don't know you know I just like somebody asked me to do something it feels right and I do it you know like yeah I think like I think Sharon, I think it was the three of us. It was very organic. It was one of those things where it could just be like, you know, we were just going with the flow. Like it might be um, someone say, hey, do you guys want to do a project? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, we'll do that. Or like we're on our way to the Druid Hill YMCA to take our kids. And they're like, it's a nice day. Let's go to the park. I'm like, okay, let's go to the park. So it was just like very, very organic and fluid. But I think just um, the amount of people that are involved with the Holistic Life Foundation now and, and just like the amount of people that we're, that we're reaching – uh, we definitely have to be very intentional about about what we want to do and how we want to do it. So I think one of the big things we have going on right now is um, this commitment through the Clinton Global Initiative. We're going to expand our Mindful Moment program uh, to five, maybe six new cities, uh, depending on how things shake out. Um, we're looking at Buffalo, Philadelphia, um, Madison, uh, Dallas, Chicago, and um, what, what am I missing? Richmond. Richmond. I'm sorry, Rom. I know he's going to listen to this, but in Richmond. So, and it's going to look like us going in and training people to do our programs. We're going to do a research project with um, the Trauma Research Foundation. Um, and like, we, we, I think that's going to help us to expand um, our satellite program, like we were mentioning on the, on the reservation, on the Mohawk reservation up in Aquasasne. So I think it's um, being very intentional about finding places that where we can get support and, um, and really kind of makes things stick. And also getting some um, concrete data behind it. That's why we're going to partner with um, Trauma Research Foundation to do some some studies mm -hmm. because we know it works, but it's always good to have those numbers behind it so that mm -hmm. we can work on expanding more and more. That's terrific. So I am wondering, just before we wrap up, if uh, you would lead us, one of you would lead us in a short practice. I will glad. I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be you. How did I know? I will gladly lead him practice all right um this is gonna be short and quick um but to the point um so if you could if you're sitting in a chair uh move to the edge of your seat have your feet grounded back neck and head aligned uh if you're um you know sitting down on the ground just make sure your back neck and head is aligned if you land down same thing make sure your ankles aren't crossed arms by your side, palms facing the ceiling, and let's take a couple deep breaths together. I invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And everyone inhale long, slow, and deep, filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon in through your nose. And exhale through your nose, push all that air out, letting your belly fall, eventually squeezing your belly button to your spine. Inhale deep again, long, slow, deep breath, filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon, fill it all the way up. Exhale, let your belly fall, letting, squeezing your belly button all the way into your spine, getting all that air out. Inhale deep one more time with that long, slow, deep breath through your nose, filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon, fill it all the way up. And exhale, push all that air out, letting your belly fall, eventually squeezing your belly button to your spine. Now you can just breathe on your own at a nice natural pace. Don't put any effort into it. Just make sure you're breathing in and out through your nose. And the first thing we're going to do 
is we're going to pay attention to how the breath feels. Every time we inhale, we want to feel the air enter in through our nose and spread throughout our body on that inhale. Also on that inhale, we want to feel our belly rising. And with every exhale, we want to feel our belly falling and feel that air exit out of our body, out through our nostrils. So that's all we're going to pay attention to is how the breath feels. We're not going to pay attention to how our clothes feel on our body or how our bottoms feel on our chairs. All we're going to pay attention to is <clears throat> how the breath feels. The rising and falling of your belly and the air entering and exiting our body through our nostrils. That's all we're going to feel. All right, next, we're going to pay attention to how the breath sounds, no matter how loud or how soft your breath is. You want to pay attention to how your breath sounds. And if you listen close enough, you'll notice that your inhale makes a unique sound and that your exhale makes a different sound. So once again, all we want to pay attention to is how our breath sounds. Once again, no matter how loud or how soft it is, all we're tuned into is how our breath sounds. Lastly, we want to focus our mind on the breath and the way that we're going to do that is by focusing on how the breath feels and sounds. Once again, we're going to feel the rising and falling of our belly. We're also going to feel the air entering and exiting out of our nostrils. And we're also going to hear that breath. So once again, we're going to feel the breath and hear the breath. And, you know, if a thought does pop into your mind, because, you know, that's the nature of the mind, don't beat yourself up, just acknowledge it, and then ground yourself or anchor yourself back with the breath and then focusing your mind on the breath by listening to the breath and feeling the breath. All right, if your eyes are closed, you can keep them closed. We're going to slowly bring ourselves away from the breath and back to our bodies. Uh, so we can start off just by wiggling our fingers. Wiggle our toes. Roll your ankles and wrists. And you can either turn your neck from side to side, turn your head from side to side, or do a neck roll both ways. Just to stretch your neck out, whatever you want to do to stretch your neck out. And then whenever you get ready, no rush, you can slowly blink your eyes open and come back to your senses. Well, thank you so much for the beautiful practice and for joining us today. It's great to see you guys again. Yeah, we love you, Sharon, and miss you. We yeah. love you so much. Good. I love so you, good too. To see. So good uh, to see you. 
To learn more about Ali Atman and Angie's work, visit www.hlfinc.org or letyourlightshinebook.com to get a copy of their book, Let Your Light Shine. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon's many different offerings, her courses, virtual classes, or to get a copy of Real Life, you can visit SharonSalzberg.com. This has been the Real Life series on the Meta Hour podcast, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease.